The passage is going to be read. Here we go. Um, this is Luke 22, 39 to 65. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to his disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and a clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts. You did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. And seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you're also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the cock crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Brilliant. So this is part of our series One Week, where we're looking in more detail at the Easter week and what we can learn from that week about what it means to be with Jesus in our lives. And we're working our way through the account in the Gospel of Luke. Um, and today we have come to the Garden of Gethsemane. So in this story, we see Jesus going to the Mount of Olives with his disciples. The Garden of Gethsemane is at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And we're told in the passage that this was a usual place for them to go. But 
this evening, that evening, was anything but usual. It seems that there is this tension in the air that they all knew that the conflict around Jesus was escalating. We're told that the disciples were exhausted from sorrow. The stress and the tension were mounting. mounting. And Jesus' response to this situation was to withdraw and spend some time with his father. However, it's clear that he doesn't want to do this alone. He wanted his close friends with him, asking them to stay awake as he prays. Now, I've always found this story incredibly precious. This is a story that shows us Jesus's humanity, a beautiful expression of vulnerability and fragility. Jesus here is demonstrating a masculinity that expresses emotion, that struggles, that wrestles with pain, failure, and fear. Also in this passage, we get a beautiful glimpse into Jesus's relationship with his father. We see him being real and honest, asking God hard questions. He asks him to intervene, to save him from the coming pain. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. But we also see him deferring to God's will. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus doesn't run from the suffering, but he reaches out to God. The theologian N.T. Wright puts it like this. This is the full honest interchange of love in which the son lays before the father the true condition of his God-reflecting humanity, caught now in the necessary work of bearing the utter pain and sorrow of the world. We see here the intimacy of the relationship between Jesus and his father. There are a few different accounts of this story in the gospel, and in the Mark account, those words, those kind of sentences, he starts with, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. He uses that word Abba, which we kind of uh, loosely translate as Daddy. It's an intimate word. And in the Matthew account, we actually see Jesus returning to pray three times and then going to check on the disciples. In his pain and anguish, he reaches out to God not just once, but multiple times. And in doing that, and in reading this account, we, we are shown that we can also come before God in our pain and struggle, that we can be honest, we can cry, we can wrestle with him, we can ask the hard questions. Jesus shows us that a life with God isn't always easy. In fact, it can be the complete opposite. But as he did, we can go to God. We have a God who stands with us in our suffering, feels our pain with us, and brings meaning to the journey. Jesus experienced crippling fear in that garden. We are told he sweated blood, which is apparently possible, um, a rare medical phenomenon called, I'm not going to get the word right, am I, but hematidrosis. It helpfully has like four different words that mean the same thing to describe this condition, which are all different, like, yeah, they all sound almost exactly the same. But anyway, um, but this condition normally happens under extreme physical or emotional stress. 
And Luke, the writer of this account, was a doctor himself. And this is a detail that he picks out. What we see here is that Jesus is not this demigod figure who can take on any battle. Um, N.T. Wright actually says it as he's not someone who strides heroically through the world without a care. No, this is a God who experiences pain, who understands our experience, who has felt real fear, real emotional and physical pain, and who understands what we go through. But this morning, I actually want to spend the rest of our time looking at the disciples. That group of people who have been with Jesus for the last three years, that group of people who are soon going to lead a revolution that breaks out of Jerusalem and impacts the whole world, who will be sharing the good news that Jesus has shown them, building communities of people who serve those in need, fight injustice and find a new way of living the first leaders in the church. But I think that if we only knew the disciples from this story, we wouldn't think they were able to do anything particularly special. In fact, they mess up pretty royally. First of all, they can't stay awake. From the text, Jesus very obviously wants them to be awake. In the accounts in Matthew and Mark, it says that Jesus takes Peter, James and John with him those who are suggested to be his closest friends out of the disciples. And he says, my soul is overwhelmed with, the so with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus wanted them to be with him. Maybe it was just for company and emotional support. Maybe it was about keeping an eye out for those who he knew wanted to arrest him. Either way, the disciples do not manage it. They fall asleep in Jesus's hour of need. And as I said earlier, one account has Jesus waking up the disciples three times. I think that's pretty awkward, embarrassing. They didn't do what he needed. And then we see Judas's betrayal, which is another whole talk in itself. So I'm just going to park that over there. And then one of the disciples cuts off a guard's ear in a moment of anger. Again, not their finest hour. The final mess up we are told about is Peter. At the last supper, Jesus predicts that Peter will deny him three times before the cock crows. And when they have that conversation, Peter can't even imagine a scenario where that would happen. But here we are just a short while later, and Peter does exactly that. He denies he knows Jesus, his precious friend and saviour, three times. It also might have been Peter who cut off the guard's ear, and I can only imagine that Peter looks back on that night with embarrassment and regret. But I wanted to draw out two things that I think we can learn from the disciples in this story. One is that this seems to be a masterclass of what not to do when your friends are in need. Jesus is actually pretty good at expressing what he needs from them but they don't step up. I was thinking about what the opposite of this was, and I didn't have to look very far. In fact, it was shown so brilliantly right here in our community last Sunday evening, where within an incredibly short space of time, hundreds of people were out on the street searching for a young boy with loads of others praying. 
Another story I heard this week was from a tear fund colleague, that's the charity I work for, who works in Aleppo in Syria. She told us of 13 churches who are working together in that city to respond to the immense needs, including being literal places of safety where people can come and bang on the door for refuge. But she also said that working together in this way has been a recent change. Previously, the Christians were so shut down and in stress that they couldn't reach out. I think we would all understand that response in the circumstances. But by working together, they have changed the culture and enabled the church to be what it is meant to be in that city. I would imagine that pretty much all of us here know what it feels like to be alone in our pain. Maybe just for a brief moment, but I can imagine that that is quite a common occurrence in all of our lives. But I also hope that we know what it feels like to have people alongside us who help us to keep going when it is tough. And we know the incredible difference of those two feelings. And I was struck as I was reading this that even Jesus was asking that of his disciples. Even Jesus needed support. It is completely okay for us to need it as well and to ask for it. Kathy Escobar, an author and pastor, describes this as borrowing hope. That in those moments when hope is running low, one of the best things we can do is to borrow hope from each other. I loved that as a description of community, that we are all there to share hope with each other, that different ones of us will have more hope at any time, but that we can share that with others who have less in that moment. So let's be a community that shares hope with one another and that steps up when people are in need. The second thing I wanted to draw out was actually the great hope we can draw from the weaknesses of the disciples that are shown in this passage. Because being a Christian isn't about being perfect. It isn't about doing the right thing all the time and ticking the boxes. We all let people down at different times, like the disciples let Jesus down. We all have highs and lows, like the disciples. Can you imagine for a minute what it was like would have been like to travel with Jesus, being one of the guys on the inside as his celebrity grew, being sent out by him, seeing people healed when you prayed and seeing people change their lives when you preached. No wonder they had that conversation at the Last Supper about which one of them was the greatest. I can imagine they were feeling invincible at that point. And then we come to this night so soon after where they all fail. They all get it wrong. Yet this is still the group of people on which God builds his church. Being a Christian is knowing that God accepts you as you are. He loves you for who you are, including your limits and your failures. We don't have to prove ourselves to him. He stands with us and is there for us. Being a Christian is actually more about being in reality of our weaknesses and our limits knowing that we will make mistakes, but alongside that, knowing how great God is and that we can throw ourselves on him and trust him. 
It's the opposite of this world where we are constantly pressured to prove ourselves, to be perfect parents, spouses, colleagues, to be interesting, creative, financially secure, to never make a bad decision. The list goes on. But we don't have to do any of that for God. He loves us completely no matter what. And it's God's full acceptance that brings us peace. Richard Rohr, a theologian and Franciscan friar, goes as far to say that it is only in God that we can know ourselves fully. He puts it like this. I believe that we do not have real access to who we fully are except in God. Only when we rest in God can we find the safety, the spaciousness and the scary freedom to be who we are, all that we are and much more than we think we are, warts and all. We can be more ourselves with God than anywhere. The disciples here show us that it isn't about being perfect, but it is about being in relationship, being connected, holding on to God as tightly as he holds on to us. And what did this day do for those people who went on to build the church? I reckon it brought them a huge sense of reality and humility. They weren't invincible. They were just ordinary people like the rest of us with strengths and weaknesses and moments when life was too much. And I wonder, would God have been able to build his church without that moment in, his, in their lives? Because we all need a moment of saying, I can't do it. I need you, God. For some of that, that will be through a painful situation. For others, it will be a gradual process. I've heard it said that God doesn't require brokenness, but he does desire what brokenness brings. Knowing that we aren't perfect, that we will mess up, brings a dependence on him. It brings humility and awareness that we also need each other and can't do this alone. That is what he is keen for us to learn. And this story shows us that all through history, God has been working with and through imperfect people. But that together and with him, we can still change the world.